In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, what more could have been done? Have you asked that question lately or heard someone asked ask that question, what, what more could have been done? It, it's not typically a fun question to ask because there are implications to asking a question like, what more could be done? It probably means that something you were working tirelessly to avoid finally happened. Or it means something that you were desperately hoping would happen failed. What more could have been done? It, it's the question that surgeons ask as they stand over a flat-lined body. Or as a, a family watches a loved one in a box be lowered down into the earth much sooner than they could claim it. What more could have been done? It, it's the question that husbands and wives ask each other with pen and hand as they stand over divorce papers, or bankruptcy papers, or foreclosure papers. What more could have been done? It's a question asked by a mom and a dad as they helplessly watch their child walk away from their faith. What more could have been done? It's a question asked by an anxious teenager who is rejected by yet another college or another crush. What more could I have done? It's typically not a fun question to ask. Not only because of what it implies, but also because the answer is almost always something. You probably could have done something more, something else. What more could have been done? I could have paid closer attention to the symptoms, the cries for help. I could have loved better. I could have forgiven sooner. I could have worked harder. I could have spent my money and my time more wisely. I could have studied more diligently. I could have tried saying stop when my child started to give up on God. What more could have been done? When we ask that question, the answer is humbling and sad. When the Almighty Creator God, the Lord of Heaven and Earth, asks that question, the answer is entirely different, and it is downright terrifying. But that's the question the Lord asks this morning, both of His Old Testament people, and also then, by our connection, us. The prophet Isaiah sings a beautiful song this morning that describes everything God had done for his people. I will sing for the one I love, Isaiah says. I will sing a song about his vineyard. 
My loved one, God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Now, the people to whom Isaiah was speaking this, these words, none of them were there, and most of them had forgotten that this fertile hillside they knew as Israel was not always Israel. No, there was a time when Israel, the people, were really nothing more than slaves to be used, cheap labor to be driven into the ground. They were enslaved in Egypt, destined to die of poverty and in shame. But the people of Israel were also the people of God. And God had big plans for them. Plans that he shared generations prior to their father Abraham. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. He promised that it would not always be like this. And yet in the days of Moses, in the days in Egypt, most of God's people simply resolved that this was a pipe dream. One that would never come true, at least not in their lifetime. But the Lord kept his promise, and he brought his people out of captivity. Miracle after miracle, the Lord led his people into the fertile hillside that would be their new home, defeating the most powerful nations in the world along the way. The Lord cleared a path of every stone and every worldly power and gave his people Israel every advantage imaginable. The Lord himself was present with them. He led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. When they got to their new home, he was present with them in his new home, first the tabernacle, then the temple. He was always with them making sure that only the choicest vines made it into his vineyard. He built a watchtower, not a literal one, but with prophet after prophet, God watched out for his people. He sent them prophets and priests to serve them with God's promises and to warn them with danger that lie ahead. Most notably, he sent these people to point them ahead to an even greater promise land. One that this current one paled in comparison to. One that a coming Savior would one day lead them into. Prophets and priests who daily reminded them of the covenants that the Lord shared with his people, with his vineyard, Keep me as your God, and I will bless you as my people. The Lord was so excited about his vineyard and the fruit that it would produce, the, the fruit that would come out of it, that he, he cut a wine press to gather up and showcase all of the awesome works his beloved people would do. This was a plan and a harvest that God had been planning since eternity. 
And what else should the Lord expect? What would any vine dresser who had spent that much time and invested that much energy making sure his vineyard was just right expect? And he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. What the Lord rightly expected to find wasn't there. In fact, what the Lord actually found was the exact opposite. He rightly expected to find people who loved their God, treasured his word, respected his prophets, but instead, he found the surrounding nations had become their God. And they grew to despise his word. He might be expected to find people who were overjoyed to bring their offerings and their sacrifices to praise him, but instead they found more joy in the security that came with holding on to those possessions. The Lord rightly expected to find beacons of light for godly living among his chosen people, but instead the line of Morality that once separated his people from the world was now gone. So what would the Lord do? What would the Lord do with this worthless vineyard and their rotten fruit? Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Did you notice that the Lord doesn't demand that his vineyard plant, prune, or water itself? They didn't have to work their way into the vineyard. Only the expectation to be what God had made them to be. Beautiful, productive, God-loving fruit. God had given, God had done, God had accomplished, God had prepared, God had planned, God had provided everything necessary for that to happen. But it wasn't there. So what would the Lord do? Well, I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. It seems so callous. The Lord is giving up. But if you've ever spent a lifetime trying to accomplish and cultivate something, only to see it come crashing down, then you can maybe begin to understand the pain with which the Lord speaks these words. If this had been a real vineyard, no one would have blamed the owner for tearing it down. Why go through the trouble, the sweat, the effort for nothing? But this song is not about a vineyard. 
It's about people. And because it's about people, it's also about you and me. Your life story and mine could be told in a very similar fashion to Israel's. A historical account of everything that God has done for you, leaving only one question to be asked. What more could God do for you? And I'm not talking about the worldly things we feel like God has slighted us. Winning the lottery, let alone a job promotion, never got anyone closer to heaven. In fact, a lot of times it actually drives people farther away. But what more could God do to ensure good, productive fruit came from your life? What more reason does God need to give you to live according to his word and to live a life pleasing to him? He planted you in the fertile hillside of a country where the gospel is preached everywhere, every day, and made sure that that message reached your ears. He tilled up your heart and made it a place where that message could be received and even grow. He daily clears away your stony enemies of sin and death and Satan through holy baptism. He posts up pastors and fellow Christians in watchtowers over your souls to warn you of spiritual threats and to surround you with the security of Christ and his forgiveness. He continues to rain out showers of his grace through word and sacraments to encourage you to grow and to strengthen you when you are weak. What more could God do for you? So, what should he expect to find when he evaluates your life? He rightly expects to find God-pleasing, productive fruit. Like Israel, he rightly expects you to love him above everything and everyone else. He expects you to forgive as you have been forgiven. He expects you to treasure his word, to regularly be here in his house, receiving his good gifts. He rightly expects you to joyfully bring your offerings to worship him. He rightly expects you to expects to your life to look different from those outside of his vineyard. And why shouldn't he? What more could I have done for you, God says? And the answer is nothing more. Someone else asked that question this morning. Did you catch it? It wasn't spelled out, but it was there. In our Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 21, we heard Jesus tell a parable about a landowner who plants a vineyard. He dug a wall around it, put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Sound familiar? He said, servant after servant, prophet after prophet, to look for good fruit in the lives of his tenants, his people. And the fortunate ones came back bloodied and beaten. 
you imagine the landowner finally asking himself, what more could I do? I know. I'll send my son. And you're rightly thinking to yourself, that might just be the absolute worst idea you've ever had. Not only does it not make good business sense, I mean, like, at what point do you just cut your losses? But in sending your son into certain pain and probable death. And something that's not mentioned there in the parable, but you have to think was on the son's mind when the father came to him and said, you know what? All of the servants that I sent, they're getting beaten, they're getting bruised, they're getting knocked out. Some of them are even being killed. You mind going and checking in on this thing? The son knew what lay ahead of him. And yet he goes. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that you make the connection. What more could God do for his vineyard? A vineyard that has absolutely zero excuses for not producing good fruit. What more could God do for us who have absolutely no excuse for not producing God-pleasing works? He could send his son. A son who would produce the fruit the father rightly expected. A son who would be our righteousness and die for our unrighteousness. A son who now tells his father not to judge us according to our rotten fruit, but based solely on his righteous fruit, his perfect life, and his innocent death. God didn't give up on his vineyard. He can't. Because it's not about grapes. It's about people. And God knew this. Did you catch how Isaiah ended his song that starts beautiful and turns dark? It says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight. Brothers and sisters, that's you. You are the garden of God's delight. Despite all of your failures of producing good fruit, God is pleased with you in Christ. And that changes the question from what more could have been done for the vineyard? Nothing. Jesus has done it all. So now, what more could be done by the vineyard? Everything. As God provides everything for you, he also provides you with everything you need to bear good fruit. Think about how every day is filled with opportunities to live lives that show the work that the Lord has done in your life and to prove that that work that he has done in your life is not in vain. <laughs> opportunities in your home, 
to love and serve your spouse and train your children in God's word and forgiveness, to be an example to others as a single person on how to live a pure and godly life in a day and age when nothing will make you stick out more. Opportunities at your job, to work diligently, faithfully, not just for a bonus or a promotion, but simply because God has gifted you with the abilities to do so. Opportunities to be that beacon of light in the world because your faith cannot be hidden. As you love people who don't deserve it, and you forgive people who don't ask for it, and you serve people who don't want it. So that if your friends know one thing about you, it's that you belong to Christ. And that he belongs to you. Opportunities to be here in worship and Bible study week after week. To be forgiven and strengthened and built up and encouraged. To financially support the work of the Lord as he has blessed you. To be an active participant in this ministry. To further the message of the gospel. To expand the walls of God's vineyard out into our community and beyond. My goodness, what more could God do for you? I know the list of things you want, and the list of things you have prayed for but never saw is probably all. That's not what Isaiah is talking about here. It's not what Jesus is talking about in the parable. So instead of focusing on that which God has not given you, spend some time this week taking inventory of how richly you, the garden of God's delight, have been blessed with more than you could have ever asked or imagined. With this simple fact, he gave his son for you. He has chosen and planted you firmly in his vineyard for eternity. Brothers and sisters, God continue to grant you both the opportunities and the ability to produce fruit fit for his kingdom, to his glory, and for the love of everyone around you. In Jesus' name, amen.